Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Matt Harmon and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Dalton Daldon with me as always here on the Midweek Show. Dalton, do you know what satisfied me today? What was that, Harmon? I mean, it was obviously, look, we're just going to get right into it. It was obviously waking up in the glory of Browns-Ravens on Monday Night Football. I mean, this was supposed to be a great slate of games this entire week. The primetime games were awesome uh, and... I would say that Rams Patriots let us down. I would say that Bills Steelers let us down, unless you just like me have so many Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs stacks on your team. Uh, you did love to see that. But Browns Ravens totally recovered this primetime slate. It was awesome. Uh, it was an electric game. Twitter was on fire, obviously, with the was Lamar taking a poop scandal. Uh, it was quite a scene, Dalton. Uh, that was what satisfied me. <laughs> Yeah, that's where I figured you were going to go with this uh, game of the year, uh, possibly um, the most rushing scores in a game since the merger. I think they had that by the third quarter. They finished with the most since like 1920s or something. Um, yeah, the Willis Reed moment with Jackson coming back. Uh, just just wild. Um, and then there were other things like uh, the what the over under. I think the Ravens might have hit the over themselves in this game's total. And then the safety at the end, uh, some of the you know, some of the game's spread went oh, off man. Ravens minus three. Um, obviously, it affected a ton of fantasy leagues. Uh, just yeah, it was an exciting game and, and certainly uh, certainly satisfying. Yeah, it was definitely satisfying. And I mean, he, I think Baker Mayfield actually summed it up perfectly after the game. He said that Lamar coming out of the locker room right after Trace McSorley gets hurt and coming on there and just immediately throwing a touchdown to Marquise Brown, who couldn't catch anything. Um, on Monday night and you know I (laughs) this was like a perfect thing for you know I think drops are kind of overrated when we're talking about wide receivers and I know we're gonna talk about the Steelers a little bit later which that's like a a pervasive topic with that team but it was like a perfect epitome of like yeah if the guy's good and I I still will hold the candle out that Marquise Brown's a good player uh, we'll see what happens to him going forward but like this is why you just keep going to that guy you know because eventually something can get like something big like that could happen it reminded me a lot of um like the Will Fuller experience. People used to think Will Fuller couldn't catch. Uh, and now we know that obviously he's suspended at this time, but he's developed into a really good player. I feel like maybe Brown could at some point, he's in a completely different offense with a very different quarterback, but he could go on that trajectory, have that type of career. But uh, it was just, 
like I said, Mayfield perfectly said it. It was like something out of a movie. Uh, come, just seeing there coming in and, and, and having him win that game. And then obviously it just felt as, as inevitable as Patrick Mahomes feels at quarterback. That's how Justin Tucker felt as the kicker yeah. for the Ravens last night too, which was an incredible thing. Yeah, and to have that happen in prime time in the last game and in the fantasy playoffs openers, uh, definitely uh, pretty fun stuff. But man, Mayfield has been so much better without Beckham, and I think it's pretty clear that that's been part of the uh, part of the deal here. I had a friend text me, so is Mayfield good last night? Now, I want your uh, opinion of my answer, and I've basically come to the conclusion that these days there's just a gigantic tier of quarterbacks, maybe 20, 25 of them, and uh, it just depends on their yearly environment and system. There's mm-hmm. like two or three or four true difference makers. And then a huge tier, and then just ask me any given year what then. And Mayfield might be the uh, the best example right now because I mean the, the difference in coaching he's uh, experienced in the off season has been just so dramatic. And uh, look look at the difference it's made. Oh, it's it's freaking night and day, man. I mean everything that Freddie Kitchens did wrong, Kevin Sk- Kevin Stefanski seems to be doing right. Uh, and that's been great to watch. I love, I mean, I'm obsessed with this Browns offense, not so much the players in it or whatever, but the way that Stefanski designs plays the way that he has mixed in. It's not as if they're running one type of system and Stefanski's this type of guy. Apparently he's just always been such a junkie for offensive designs and molding different concepts together. Uh, what, what Callahan's doing on the offensive line too. everything is kind of clicking to the point that, yeah, I, I think Mayfield could level out being – it's an easy comparison to make because Stefanski just coached this guy. But I feel like Mayfield could level out being a Kirk Cousins type of player. Do you want your number one overall pick to be more than that? Probably. But nevertheless, Kirk Cousins, when things are going right, is pretty good. And Kirk Cousins could – I think he's the type of guy that could get hot – and win you a Super Bowl, I think he's the type of guy that when he's comfortable with players, when he has good chemistry with players, he can obviously make them very fantasy relevant. And I think we're seeing every single week. I agree with you. It, you know, it might it's it doesn't necessarily have to be a take that, oh, because Mayfield is better without Beckham, Beckham sucks or Beckham is washed. Maybe those two guys just don't jive together. Um, we're seeing a similar thing again with Kirk Cousins and Stefan Diggs. It's not as if Diggs was unproductive in Minnesota at all, but he's such a better fit with Josh Allen. And maybe he just likes Josh Allen more as a person. Maybe he just didn't get along with Kirk Cousins. I think that stuff does matter. Uh, and maybe Beckham and Mayfield also have a similar situation there. I have no idea. I mean, obviously Mayfield like seems to like Beckham a lot. He sticks up for him when people bring this narrative up. But the chemistry between Mayfield and Landry, and Higgins too. I mean, the Higgins thing, I am so excited. Like I don't love to run victory laps too often, but I will run the damn victory lap on Richard Higgins. Cause this is a guy I have been so excited about since he was in college and it seemed like it was going to be a miss. But finally, again, this coaching staff, unlike the last one where Freddie kitchens, just put Higgins on the shelf for seemingly no reason. Cause it was clear that his quarterback liked to throw to him, but just for whatever reason, they never did that. This coaching staff is actually making Higgins an every down player, and it, it's to their quarterback's benefit as well. I like Higgins as well. I've been ranking him too high each week. Uh, Kirk Cousins, your current leader in completion percentage above expectation this season. Um, I hear what you're saying about the number one overall pick, wanting it to be more for sure, but there are just so 
few true, true difference makers. I mean, I, I would put yeah. like Deshaun Watson there along with Mahomes and Russell Wilson. And then, you know, then we have to think about it. Uh, well, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, there's a, whatever, a handful at best. And uh, then it comes down to the system in that environment. And Stefanski, I know it's it's definitely uh, silly to just point out trick plays, but even that trick one last night. I mean, Chubb, oh, yeah. the blockers were the blockers were there. Like that was nearly a, a, a touchdown. The, the blockers were right in front of Chubb on that play. And speaking of Nick Chubb, man, what what a just a awesome one of my favorite players right now to watch play football. Um, and Humphrey, man, how does he have like five more uh, fumbles for us this year than the next best player? So a lot of fun players out there on a Monday night game. A lot of high scoring, obviously, makes it fun. And just so many touchdown rushes. Glad to see Lamar Jackson return. And I hope that cramp in his arm isn't a, a lasting thing. And it's so, so, so funny, you know, referring to Paul Pierce afterward and all that. But uh, yeah, wild, <laughs> wild, uh, wild opener to fantasy playoffs week 14. Yeah, the Browns get the two New York teams and then the Steelers to end the season. Obviously, Week 16, the New York Jets, that'll be a fun one if you're alive in your fantasy football championships. Just real quick before we move on to the rest of the show, the Ravens, I mean, they they have Jacksonville and then the Giants to end their season and then Cincinnati in Week 17. They're, they're a team that might have to play their guys in Week 17 just to secure some playoff positioning based on the rest of the way. I mean, they're no lock. They're absolutely no lock to make the postseason. I, I felt like last, like watching that game last night, it's as if they sort of just got back to their roots in some way. It's like, okay, yes, we definitely had intentions on developing a better passing offense. It clearly wasn't working this year. We just had this gigantic COVID uh, hit our team, and it was a nightmare. Let's just go back, scrap that, and go back to what we are for the rest of uh, 2020 to try to make the playoffs, keep this thing alive, try to make another Super Bowl run, and we'll figure the rest out later. And they're a team that really could figure out their passing offense in the offseason. Like, I would love to see them add a Chris Godwin, a Juju Smith-Schuster, a guy that is an over-the-middle dominator because that's where Lamar is best. He's still not a good outside-the-numbers passer. It is what it is. So they could make those strides uh, going forward. But where are you like right now for the last three weeks of the regular season on this Ravens offense? There's obviously still concerns about Lamar as a passer because like you just you can't watch that game and see some of the misses and not be like, geez, this is going to happen. We don't have to overanalyze every single damn pass with the guy. But at the same time, where are we with this team? I think you said it well that they they aren't what they had hoped to evolve to be this year. So they're just going to go back to uh, what what was so successful last year. And I just can expect Lamar to kind of run wild down the stretch. And uh, I would not feel confident starting Marquise Brown. I loved him before the season and he's put up a a few good games in a row, but I wouldn't feel great. Even Mark Andrews was quiet for the first two quarters. Um, But of course, tight end, you're still using him. But I think Lamar Jackson is going to run wild down the stretch. J.K. Dobbins obviously looks great. And so does Gus Edwards. So I think they're just going to really focus on that rushing attack. It's going to look very similar to what we saw on Monday night. Yeah, I would agree. I feel like that is their game plan the rest of the way. All right, let's jump into the regular meat of the show. Let's start off with what we love to see. And man, um, Aaron Rodgers, I think after this week, is the favorite. He should be the favorite to win MVP. Every year, it's basically going to be, you know, Mahomes versus someone else. I think until Mahomes decides to not play football or I don't know football ceases to exist one one of the one of the other until then it's going to basically be Mahomes is the favorite going into every single year because he's that type of guy but we know that the MVP is a narrative based award we know that the voters love that type of stuff and Rogers I mean holy hell man 
obviously going into this year, basically, let's just let's just throw out ninety five percent of the football world was ready to say Rodgers has taken a step back. Um, there was maybe a smaller percentage that was willing to say he is officially, you know, closer to being done than uh, recapturing high end starter form. Well, he hasn't just recaptured high end starter form. He has. Played like the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He leads the NFL in EPA per play. He leads the NFL um, in Ben Baldwin's composite, like EPA per play plus completion percentage over expectation. He's been the best quarterback in the NFL. He's limiting turnovers, leads the NFL in completions over 20 plus air yards. It's all there, man. Rodgers is doing it. And I feel like the trickle down effect is starting to come to the point where. We know Devontae Adams is the number one receiver in football right now, but Bob Tanyan's an every week starter at tight end at this point. MVS continues to make sporadic plays. Lazard is sort of kind of involved. And all the running backs, I mean, even Jamal Williams is a guy that if you're desperate, you could flex because the offense is that good right now. And I I don't know where you want to take that, but I, I definitely feel like he's the favorite from the MVP. And I feel like there's a lot of lessons here, like, prognostication lessons to learn here about a guy in the second year of a system that is a proven system, by the way. Don't briefly remind me about Aaron Jones against the Lions last week. Disappointing DFS hey, uh, lineups everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, very interesting. I'm, I'm curious how the voters are going to treat Mahomes uh, as far as MVP because like Mike Trout uh, gets overlooked yearly in baseball just because it's boring mm-hmm. to pick the same player every year. Carl Malone once won over Jordan. So I could see something similar with Mahomes just being so, so good for so long. It is, it is, whoever that year's best player will, will win it over him. That's kind of what I'm saying. So that's kind of what times. I'm saying. I feel like yeah. if there's if there's one clear alternative, the voters will be pick that every year. The right. one clear alternative right. over Mahomes. But if it's a situation like in a hypothetical world, Dalton, where Rogers, Josh Allen, and Russell Wilson had all made an equal case, um, then I feel like, well, sh- screw it, yeah. just go to Mahomes because right. that, and I feel like that will happen probably three or so times in his career. But because Rodgers, I think, has elevated himself over all of those guys, that's why I think this year could be different. Yeah, no, I agree. Because we're going to talk about Josh Allen soon. And I was comparing those two, their two stats. Rodgers has 11 fewer sacks, nine fewer turnovers. Um, yeah, maybe he's padding his stats a little at the goal line. But, I mean, 8.2 YPA. He's also PFF's highest-graded passer. So, Rodgers, I swung and missed on him in my fantasy rankings. I thought he was on decline. What were they doing in their first two draft picks in, in Green Bay? Um, they're, uh, he wasn't going to run nearly as much. He's been injury prone. Yeah. Look at his age. Um, why not go after a guy with upside in the, the higher, uh, going up in their career, but man, Rogers has been as good as ever. He sits back there with a clean pocket, uh, every week. Again, the system and the coaching, a big, big help. And he's taking advantage of it. So yeah, Rogers very likely might win MVP this year. Yeah. And the lesson that I'm taking away from this too, is that I think that this offensive system you know the the Shanahan uh, tree of system. It can just it can really elevate almost any quarterback. You know sometimes it takes a year. Uh, we've seen that with I think the perfect example is Matt Ryan in Atlanta. Like the first year of the Kyle Shanahan Matt Ryan marriage was whatever. You know it was pretty typical Matt Ryan. But then that second season in 2016, whew, like we're flying. Obviously Ryan uh, has a, yeah. a, a career year. He wins MVP. But in this situation, and then last year, Rodgers, I think we cannot, like at this point, 
I'm totally willing to go back to my take of, yeah, Mike McCarthy was screwing this thing up because like, what's Mike McCarthy doing in Dallas right now that makes you think, oh yeah, he's, he really has, he was like an offensive mastermind or whatever. And then, and then his first year under Matt LaFleur, it's whatever, very much like the first year with Kyle Shanahan, Matt Ryan was whatever, but this is Aaron frickin' Rodgers, you know, and now like in the second season there, we're seeing him get back to like regular form, which is better than Matt Ryan's MVP form. It is, I think this might be one of Rodgers' best years, and I totally buy in, I, I, I totally buy into the fact that Rodgers is a petty guy, and like taking those two players, especially the quarterback, lit a fire under him. I think people doubting him put lit a fire under him. And like, I watched a, a hit he did on Pat McAfee's show where he talked about how he completed a no look pass. And he just threw this one line in there about like, Oh, it was so, you know, it was so great um, for Pat Mahomes to bring that to the NFL, you know, and he was referencing a pass that he had thrown like five years ago, you know? So, oh, yeah, and I, yeah. so I think, I think the fact that, like Rogers was the transformative guy before Mahomes, and now like the entire football world's gaze has gone to Mahomes. Uh, I'm ranting a little bit here, but I just think like all of these narrative things sometimes do collide, and it makes a difference for this particular player. I drafted Rogers in a couple superflex leagues only because he was discounted, but I, like most people, was willing to fade him this year as well. So we all get to collectively hold the L. I like his personality as well. And MVS is making weekly mistakes. And Devontae Adams missed a couple games too. So just to, what a season Rodgers is having and proving doubters wrong emphatically for sure. And his part of his decline was the, the advanced, or people thought, because he hasn't, he hasn't graded very well in these advanced stats, the Ben Baldwin stats. Um, and um, I'm, I'm curious uh, your take on this. I noticed that uh, a lot of the guys that grade poorly on that are guys that throw to the sidelines and Rodgers is way up there versus the middle of the field. Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. But Josh Allen, who we're going to talk about next, he was horrible in the advanced stats. And this, this year is, is his top five in, in CPAE. And he is actually in this MVP conversation. Yeah, let's talk about Josh Allen because, you know, one one of the like these Shanahan systems are are everywhere you know I think about one of the one of the highly sought after play callers this year will, to be a head coach will obviously be Arthur Smith and he's running a lot of those concepts from um from the, the LaFleur offense obviously he was there for that and then uh, in Tennessee that that didn't work out so well until they they go to Arthur Smith and things are, are flying now because they use a lot of play action a lot of motion uh they base off the run game whatever Brian DeBall in uh in Buffalo is like the only guy that's not really doing that and they do some smart stuff in Buffalo from a play calling perspective, you mentioned it. They're extremely pass heavy. They're top 10 in terms of pass rate on early downs. Uh, Josh Allen has thrown more than 40 passes six times this season. Um, when this is from Roto world adjusting for down distance and game situation, the bills are actually the second most pass happy team in the league behind only Kansas city. And Josh Allen is executing the hell out of that, man. I mean, he has been unbelievable this year and it's one thing I think it's it's not just the fact that they've added all of these great players, although at the same time, I do think that's part of the conversation. I think it is a belief in this team, in Josh Allen, and just the fact that they're putting so much on his shoulders while also making his life easier by surrounding him with good players and um, using good concepts like spreading the field out. They play more... Um, multiple receiver sets than anybody Josh Allen throws to wide receivers at a higher percentage of his target than any other starting quarterback. It, it's a mix there of, of asking him to do a lot while also putting a lot on his shoulders. 
Yeah. So like I said, he ranks number five in completion percentage above expectation. By the way, Taysom Hill is just qualified. It checks in at number six right now, which really was eye-opening Sick. for me. <laughs> um, if, if, you com- if you combine now suddenly a good, a decent passer, if, if there's any truth to that stat, uh, with the coaching and the environment and the added receivers and the fact he's such a, a baller as a rusher, man, we're looking at a fantasy star for years to come. You know, I, one of my concerns with him is, oh, he's going to be more injury prone to all the hits he takes. The guy is so big. I mean, he, the, the linebackers are the ones that are suffering on the collisions. It's not him. So, I mean, he's he's just looked fantastic in any way. I mean, how could you criticize him at all? I mean, a few t- fumbles, whatever, those actually help his fantasy stats probably too. So, yeah, it's just been great. And I, I was not surprised to see. I was listening to Warren Sharp lay off the uh, uh, name off the uh, – the quarterbacks that the Steelers had faced the previous six weeks. And it was all just kind of a joke. And they faced a real offense uh, last week. And Josh Allen, uh, it was not Dunked shocking to see. It wasn't quite the game he put out, uh, the, the absolute clinic he put out against my 49ers. But still, yeah, man, the no, Bills yeah. are better than the Steelers. I mean, it's as simple as that. Bills are probably the only team that I think could give the Chiefs some trouble in the AFC. I mean, anything can happen on a one-game sample size. But the Bills are legit, man. It's his. Uh, I thought that coming into the year, one of the reasons I drafted him on so many teams uh, is that I thought he could be sort of a poor man's Cam Newton in the way that he runs the ball, never gets hurt, um, and you know he could have that type of season like Cam did in 2015, where all the factors just come together and he has that type of magical season. <laughs> I mean. He's like a rich man's Cam Newton now at this point. Yeah, I love I love Cam Newton. I, I'm a huge Cam Newton guy. I would have loved to see Cam Newton develop into the type of quarterback that Josh Allen has developed into. And just one note on Stefan Diggs, too. You know, I was tweeting about uh last night, was tweeting about Chris Godwin potentially going to the Ravens, and obviously all the fantasy goofballs were in my mentions about no, please don't send a receiver to Baltimore because Lamar can't throw, yada, yada, yada. They don't throw very – they're not very good. I'm like, did you all not learn your lesson with Stefan Diggs going to going to Buffalo? Because that was the exact conversation around him. And number one, the take there is sometimes great players change the landscape of an offense. Number two, the one of my big points with Allen that I thought never got – hammered home enough was in his rookie season he was throwing to kelvin benjamin book zay jones book and then his third highest targeted player was his running back in Lashawn mccoy who's not exactly like christian mccaffrey or alvin Kamara as a guy that you want to be funneling 80 plus to 100 targets to so the to go from that to john brown stefan diggs cole beasley is a huge jump and for same thing for lamar too like if he was to go from marquise brown uh, Mark Andrews, and then like Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin, these guys, to then Chris Godwin, Mark Andrews, Hollywood Brown. We're talking about a totally different passing environment. First off, Beasley's way better than I gave him credit for. And secondly, as much as I do like Hollywood Brown, and I think he will have a, 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 some nice seasons in the future, man, he looks small out there. Ima- uh, even, after gaining one, the, yeah. even after gaining the 20 pounds in the offseason, he just yeah. looks so tiny out there. So absolutely, Lamar could use a, a, a bigger option over the middle for sure. So the the Stefan Diggs thing is funny too because it transitions into our next topic and another thing that I was talking about on Twitter. I hate to just talk about my own Twitter feed, but you know what? Whatever, <laughs> I'm going to do it. Um, I was talking about how like you know the the Vikings are very they're, they're not lucky, but in some ways, if the damn Eagles had just been smart, 
and taken Justin Jefferson instead of Jalen Rager, and then Jalen Rager ends up in Minnesota. Uh, we're looking at this Stefan Diggs trade. Like, everybody talks about it, and it's true. Results-wise, it's a win-win because the Vikings yeah, have an brilliant. ascending star in Justin Jefferson. Um, and, and obviously the Bills have a top five potential receiver in Stefan Diggs, like a legit elite player. That's where he is at this point. So it's a win-win for both teams. But it could have easily not been a win-win. But one of the other receivers, maybe they don't take Jalen Rager and they take Brandon Ayuk, your guy in San Francisco. This player, I feel like he's the most overlooked of the receivers in this draft class. Maybe it's just because the 49ers offense has been hit or miss. Nick Mullins is back there. That's tough to watch sometimes because the mistakes just keep on piling up. But at the same time, Brandon Ayuk, I think, needs to get credit as one of the best receivers from this draft class. This comes from Adam Levitan. Uh, from establish the run obviously injuries to George Kittle and Debo Samuel are a big factor here but Ayuk is getting legit as he as Levitan calls it alpha usage in his last four games averaging 12.2 targets and a 30 percent share I've also been super impressed with the fact that he's not just being used as a a layup receiver he's been legit legit getting downfield usage which he did a lot in college I was not totally convinced he was going to be able to do in the NFL level for a number of different reasons that we can talk about, but he's been doing it, man. Uh, And this is another stat, too. Ayuk has the fifth most PPR points all time from a wide receiver through their first 10 career games. You've got to be loving, loving this guy on your 49ers, man. I absolutely love him. He's the only thing that has gone right for the 49ers this year, arguably. Um, Not only was he considered kind of raw coming out of ASU, he wasn't putting up big stats, you know, playing behind Nikhil Harry even um, his final year there. Uh, But he suffered a hamstring injury in the preseason. So these rookie receivers without much practice, it's crazy that it was expected for him to get off to a a slower start. If you prorate his last five games over a season, it's more than 100 catches, 1,500 yards, and nine touchdowns. And now this week, no Debo. Uh, I have Ayuk as a top 10 fantasy wide receiver in Dallas. Um, talking about Marquise Brown oh, yeah. being too small. Ayuk has a wingspan of Calvin Johnson. Um, Shanahan Which just is does insane, not make given up. his frame. Right, right. This does not make up Shanahan for drafting Solomon Thomas over Deshaun Watson or Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, but still, credit where it's due. Ayuk was not talked about among this draft class, and he he went out on the record and said, "Hey, man, I had him above Judy and right there with Ceedee Lamb. That's why we we drafted Kinlaw and went down to get him." So. Ayuk looks great. Uh, a guy that didn't even go downfield. It's not the gimmicks, uh, the, the yak and all that stuff, the no air yards like it is with Debo. Um, yeah, Ayuk looks fantastic. And especially this year, it'd be better with Jimmy G, but with no Debo and no Kittle, he is going to be uh, racking up the targets down the stretch. And no Mostert. Yeah. Mostert had an MRI too. I mean, he might just be the That's entire true. game plan of the 49ers. Seriously. And he's he's been that and he's living up to that high expectation. Uh, you said he has a 9.6 air yards per target mark. That's not massive, but it's the highest on the team when you adjust for guys that have like over 30 targets on this roster. You know, Debo, you mentioned he's he's down there still at like 3.9. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. the way they've been using him in this very yeah. constricted role. But if you had to pick going into next year, which of these two guys, Debo, uh, Brandon Ayuk, obviously they'll both be fighting for targets beyond um, George Kittle. Like, I think we should still project Kittle for 130 targets to lead the team, whatever. But which one of these two guys, the wide receivers, strictly would you rather have? 
Oh, as much as I love Debo, I will absolutely, without a question, Ayuk. I mean, uh, Debo is, first of all, very injury prone, man. I mean, it's the the Jones fracture, and now it's the hamstring. It was something else. And I love the so guy, many things, but he, yeah. he he invites contact, and he also is does not have the same nearly the route tree that Ayuk already has as a rookie. No, he's the alpha. Ayuk is the guy that could be like a, a bona fide maybe star in the league, uh, regardless of the system. And he also happens to be in the Shanahan one. So absolutely, give me Ayuk here. Yeah, I thought that Ayuk coming into the NFL would be sort of a – he would mostly be a yak guy. I was like, man, you know, are – is is Debo and Brandon Ayuk, are they too uh, overlapping? Are they too redundant to each other? Because a lot of the – like you said, coming into the NFL, Ayuk was very raw. You could absolutely see him win deep versus off coverage, but how often was he going to be able to win versus press? Because you just didn't see very many reps against press uh, in college. You did not see him winning the limited reps, but as soon as he as soon as soon he got with Kyle Shanahan, I was like, oh, Shanahan will figure it out. Because there's just clearly so many good parts to his game, Brandon Ayuk, that we know Shanahan will put these guys in position to succeed, and I absolutely agree with you. I mean, as good of a football player as Debo is, you know, the rushing, the receiving, the yak, it's all there. The bully ball way that he plays does definitely invite contact. And I think if you're looking at a guy who's more of a traditional wide receiver, thousand percent, it's Brandon Ayuk. So I, I agree with you um, on that one. Another surprising NFC West rookie here to end the year, Cam Akers, man. Um, I felt pretty happy with myself that I told people like going into week 14, just Put your concerns about the Rams' backfield, which are justified. We know it's a hot hand situation. McVay has said that all year, and that's been the case all year. There has not been a lot of predictability in this offense. Take it, throw it out of your mind, because everything in Week 13 would tell you that Cam Akers was the hot hand. He was the guy to ride. Well, that's exactly what happened in Week 14. 55 out of 62 snaps, 89% of the snaps, 94% of the carries on the team, and... Um, He saw three of four backfield targets. Obviously, that's good for 75% and 194 total yards from scrimmage, uh, 5.9 yards per carry against the Patriots defense. Is this a guy like what's what's your uh, what's your nervousness level? What's your trustability ranking here with Cam Akers? Because, again, all of that usage would tell you every week start. Don't think about it. Set it and forget it. But does the way that McVay has handled this backfield throughout the course of the year give you any worry at all i mean maybe i'm crazy uh don't answer that but i have a number eight this week at home it gets 17 point favorites against the jets i mean last week at the second highest snap share miles sanders surprisingly number one oh, um Jesus, the, mo- yeah. the acres had the most carries among all running backs in football last week he actually had 50 he has 50 carries over a four-day span but now it's nice extra rest after last playing on Thursday. I get it. Uh, Malcolm Brown will suddenly be involved. There's some risk. But, man, the running back position right now is really, really thin uh, very quickly. Daryl Henderson played seven snaps last week. Um, I don't know if it's a health thing or what. But, again, yeah, the Jets hurt, aren't the yeah. The Jets aren't the worst run D, but 17-point home favorites. I mean, can there be a better game script? Uh, Akers coming off that workload. I don't see how you can't, you don't treat him as an RB1. I really don't see. I mean, in that McVay offense, too. So am, am I crazy? No, you're not. I have him at 12, uh, and I think that's like the floor. I don't know how you could get him any lower than 12. 
just based yeah. on who's who's coming up after him. The workload that he saw, the matchup, like you said, being such a heavy home favorite. The only thing you'd have to worry about is basically what we saw with the Seahawks uh, last week, which is just like well, by the third quarter, this baby's in the bag. Like pull all these guys out of there. Like, yeah, maybe let's throw Malcolm Brown to the Wolves a little bit. That's the only thing you have to worry about in this game at all. No, that's – yeah, because you had to do 35 fearless forecasts for running backs, and I picked Daryl Henderson as one of them because I'm like, listen, he's a sleeper. Yeah, if he's might. healthy, if he's – I mean, the second half there, or Malcolm Brown, whoever you want there, if you're desperate for a running back in that game uh, script, absolutely one of those other Rams could see all the carries in the second half. And can I complain a little more about how annoying it is to see Akers and Jonathan Taylor and Dobbins do so well as the fantasy running back guy? It just took so long, you know? It just, it just took a little yeah. longer than expected, but they are – all suddenly emerging here. Uh, maybe it's a little too little too late for some of those guys because they were such zeros early on. Totally. Um, I agree with you. It, was, it, was, it could, have, could have happened a little earlier, but at least it is happening. Uh, last thing we want to hit here on the love to see it. I saw this stat uh, right before I jumped on the podcast. I'm going to probably write about it in my metrics piece. Uh, I thought this was interesting. This is from Shil Kapadia of The Athletic. Great stuff. Make sure to follow him. Uh, he points this out. One way to look at NFL play callers who do the best job with their first 15 game scripts. You know, The, the first 15 is usually the, the scripted plays or whatever. The, the thing that they these offensive play callers like, put together and that's like their plan going into the week um he listed the highest epa on the first 15 possessions per true sports media um packers number one rams number two lions number three chiefs number four colts number five i think obviously one two four those make a ton of sense we know the floor the the packers have been awesome this year the rams with mcveigh duh and obviously the Chiefs with Andy Reid, of course. Lions with Daryl Bevel are interesting. And same, I sort of with Frank Reich and the Colts at number five, I feel like Frank Reich just doesn't get enough credit as being one of the best offensive coaches in the NFL because that offense is kind of sort of boring. Like it's not one of the most fantasy juicy environments, but Jonathan Taylor kicking ass right now. Phillip Rivers playing well. Uh, and obviously some of the receivers, T.Y. Hilton's like suddenly come back to life. But Daryl Bevel, the Lions, number three. I Number one, wanted to just throw this out there as a – my takeaway from this is Kenny Galladay is really good. Like this Lions offense, if Bevel is scripting it well, and let's not forget with Stafford last year, they were really good uh, as an offense – Number one, maybe we should care about where Daryl Bevel goes next year because he's probably not going to be back in Detroit as an offensive coordinator. Number two, Kenny Galladay, free agent this year. He could go to some team and make a big, big difference because he's obviously been sort of the missing piece this year, why their offense has been a little mediocre. But I don't know, man. Are we kind of under – I feel like I get Marvin Jones wrong every single week. I feel like DeAndre Swift being back is big, but now Matthew Stafford is hurt. How are we treating the Lions who have sort of had a little bit of a bounce back here with Daryl Bevel taking over as the head coach? I remember in the last couple of years, the Bears had always been really good in those first 15 plays and then disaster afterwards. So interesting not to see him on the top five here. Yeah, the Lions one is the clear, uh, what are they doing on here, team of the top five. And man, I was in on them before the season and they've just been such a disappointment. And now Stafford's dealing with an injury. Boy, as a 49ers uh, guy, that he's the one guy yeah, I have my eye on as far as quarterback yeah. is Matty Stafford. So um, yeah, he's so he's question play this week and you said it with Kenny Galladay's uh, 
least Hawkinson has emerged as a, maybe a distant third, but at least that uh, the, is the tight end option there among very few other ones this season. But um, interesting to see Bevel rank there. Yeah, number three. And that obviously there is something to that. I don't think that's like a, a fake stat. I think, yeah, you come out with the, the game script and EPA. So uh, that jumps out at you. And he was the guy that had this, them, you know, Stafford so aggressive last Playing year well. with the yep. – aggressiveness and the average uh, depth of target uh, and all that. So, yeah, he's, he's an interesting coach to pay attention to and see where he lands for sure. Yeah, it might be nothing, but there's some threads to pull there, especially, I mean, just the fact that they come out and they even the players were saying it. Like, it's just a different energy in the room with Daryl Bevel because everybody hates Matt Patricia, man. I mean, the, the fact that he's gone, I think, is a big, big deal. So we'll see. We'll see about that one. We wanted to thank, again, our sponsor for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. All right, let's talk about the things we hate to see this week. And this is sort of an interesting mixed bag here. But first, let's just hit this quickly. Ronald Jones apparently has an injury. Uh, That's not what you want to see. Ronald Jones is like the only thing you can predict in this Bucks offense right now, because uh, Tom Brady, little hit or miss, I just still don't. I, I don't know about you, man, but I come out of that Week 14 game feeling no differently. All of the same concerns I had about the Bucks coming off their bye week, I feel like I still have those as concerns. You know, with the receivers, with Brady, with the pass protection, yada 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 yada. But for Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, a healthy scratch. We love to see that. Uh, we don't need Fournette out there anymore. But where are you at with this Bucks team and Ronald Jones in particular? Yeah, I thought I was being clever last week using Ronald Jones and DFS, or I at least mentally locked him in my lineup, you know, established the run, had Tampa Bay as quietly the biggest offensive line advantage of the week over Minnesota. And then when Fournette was suddenly a healthy scratch, his roster percentage, Ronald Jones wasn't so clever and sneaky. And he had a fine game. Yeah. And I thought the pinky he'd be okay. Um, but yeah, if he misses this game, it's uh, who knows? I mean, do you turn to Uncle Lenny if they go back? Because they throw it to him a lot. And and I'm not using McCoy. Um, and the Falcons have quietly been like the toughest team against fantasy running backs the last five games. I don't know what to make of that either. So it's a yeah, it's a it's an unfortunate situation because I was just locking in Ronald Jones as a top 15 uh, option every single week. So now it's a wait and see and uh, unfortunate timing at being week 15 in the fantasy championship games and all. Do you have any? I, I don't know, man, I say this, I feel like on every show. And I think actually Scott said it perfectly. The Antonio Brown situation on Sunday night's podcast, he basically said, you know, he solved a problem that they didn't have. I thought that was a perfect way of yeah. saying it because, I mean, they didn't have an issue at that third receiver spot. Scotty Miller makes the biggest play of the passing game last week. That was a guy that was playing well for them, averaging over 15 yards per catch. Brown has been kind of a bust as an ad, which is 0% shocking if you just take all of the factors into consideration but do you have any sort of lean on would you play chris godwin aggressively or mike evans aggressively uh, against this falcons team because it's a good matchup and they might not have their best and most predictable uh running back back there 
Yeah, I used Antonio Brown in one league, just thinking coming out of the bye, maybe hit emerge uh, against a banged up Minnesota secondary. But instead, his snaps actually fell way, way down. Um, I'm still using also and, and Evans had left the Thursday with an injured hamstring, too. So I was like, oh, the targets yeah. may may be there. But um, instead, the opposite occurred. So I'm still using Godwin and Evans forward. Uh, it's not always pretty, but they're they're getting it done. And you said the matchup is right here. So especially yeah, with no, no Ronald Jones and Antonio Brown fading. Uh, Scotty Miller had been a complete zero before that play. So, yeah, I'm still starting uh, Godwin and Evans, even if they have both not lived up to fantasy expectations this season. Speaking of old quarterbacks, uh, the Steelers offense stinks. And James Conner, Mike Tomlin talked about it today. He, apparently he has a quad injury. I mean, the running game, I feel like just forget it because who cares? Like even when Benny Snell or McFarland has been back there, Anthony, don't call me Booger McFarland has been back there. Like they're not a good rushing team. Their offensive line has too many problems. Uh, and they've adjusted now to be more of a finesse team with the way Ben Roethlisberger has to play, which is just not conducive at all to, to their running backs. Like their running backs, Snell, Connor, they should be downhill power guys. It's just a bad mix. Uh, the passing game, though, what are we doing with this the Steelers passing game? Obviously, Deontay Johnson, uh, having drop problems, gets back into the second half after being benched in the first half, right back to his normal role, playing every single snap. He's made a couple plays, whatever, but it's clear that the Mike Tomlin, at least, is pissed with him. Uh, Juju has been completely marginalized for Eric Ebron. Hate to see that. Ebron, that's the guy that can't catch it. They don't want to bench for whatever reason. I don't, I don't understand that one. Uh, and then Chase Claypool has been downgraded to uh, a hit or miss snap player. And Ben, after the, that Bills game, which was an, embar- an embarrassing game, Ben even said himself, he said, I'm not very good right now uh and i know that some Steelers fans like well he says this stuff remember when he threatened to retire or whatever i mean he's just telling the truth man he's not playing good what are what are we doing with the steelers here there's some rumblings that ben has this knee injury but um, it's all he's always banged up and i know they're getting rid of the ball so quickly it's crazy his his sacks the amount he's taken the second half of the season so so few um James Conner, I understand the run blocking is is horrific in Pittsburgh, but he's a guy I'm writing down as a never again player in ink for me, and I yeah. I have very few of those guys. Usually, I, I double down on players who burn me. Like I'm I'm going to run it back with Ch next next year, but Conner, it's the injuries, it's it's all the in game injuries. Um, yeah, I, I'm out on Conner this season and moving forward. Um, as for Big Ben, I looked up. Uh, I know the drops uh, can vary from site, but PFF has him easily. The Pittsburgh Steelers easily leading the league with 35 drops. To give comparison, Kyler Murray's suffered just 11. Um, so that obviously hasn't wow. helped. And Deontay Johnson, I know we both loved entering the year. What uh, Just a disappointment. And we said the, the problem with drops may be overrated in real life, but if Mike Tomlin rates them uh, to the sense where you're going to bench a player for multiple quarters, then it matters in fantasy terms. So um, it's kind of a disaster here, especially for a team with such a good real-life record to be so, you know, you think they'd be more helpful in fantasy leagues. But it's a total altogether avoid situation in the backfield. And um, yeah. I mean, it just depends as far as the receivers, but certainly not starting any of them with confidence at this point. No, I don't know how you could. Uh, the Steelers are probably done with James Conner, too, by the way. Uh, his contract is up after this year, so I can't right. imagine he's going to be back there, and I can't imagine he'll get a starting job anywhere else. So I don't think you'll have to worry no, no. too much about avoiding James Conner next year. I feel like that will All happen fair. no matter what. Yeah, but the receivers, it's tough, man, because the fact that they're so 
all they do is throw short and over the middle. That's where most drops occur on the field. So they're kind of setting themselves up hmm. to be screwed. And I also think that Johnson is in his own head at this point and benching yeah. him, you know, can go one way or the other. So, yeah, I don't know how there's probably plenty of teams that will have to start Juju, have to start Deontay Johnson, because at least Juju started to pick his production back up. I still don't know if he's going to be back there next year. We'll see with that one. But, yeah, this team's a nightmare, man. I would not want to be invested in the Steelers one bit from an NFL is it a success velocity? standpoint. Is it a velocity thing? Those drops over the – that's interesting. The shorter ones are more drops. It's got, is it a velocity thing? Yeah, I wrote about it in my metrics column last week. I put a, a next-gen stats tweet that they had in there that, yeah, shorten over the middle is where it happens the most because, yeah, the ball gets on the receiver so fast. you got to think about that too. Like these guys are barely – some of Johnson's drops, like I said, I think at this point it is in his head. Like with with the Bills game, the Ravens think game, it was one thing. Like some of those passes were not accurate. They're over the middle. And that's another thing too. Unless your quarterback is hyper accurate, which I don't think Ben has been this year, the the placement's going to be off. And again, if, if you have to adjust to a ball that's behind your back or if you're running a slant over the middle, which is all the Steelers do is run freaking slants, and the ball's not right out in front of you, you're, you to track that with – such little time like it's one thing when you're running downfield and you've got to track the ball as a deep pattern you've got time to watch it get there if it's coming to you in less than two seconds over the middle where there's a lot of defenders it's tough I mean again I think it's drops are frustrating no doubt about it but I think the Steelers are setting themselves up to fail with the way they're calling plays but I don't know that with Ben right now they can call any other plays because they don't want him to get hit quick they yeah. It has to be quick. They do not want him to get hit. That seems to be their biggest concern is don't get Ben hit. But this this offense is almost as unwatchable as the Mason Rudolph offense. And I never thought we would say that at this point of the year. Yeah, it's too bad. You think that maybe the healthy elbow after offseason surgery, Big Ben will be throwing it deep more than ever. But instead, yeah, yeah, it's just been all underneath stuff and super unwatchable. It is super unwatchable. Um, Mitchell Trubisky used to be unwatchable, man, but we probably got to talk about the fact that, hey, Bears fans might hate to see it, but Trubisky's been legit pretty good. I mean, he's not a great quarterback or anything. Obviously, uh, the Texans' defense helps a lot, (laughs) of course, Yes, last week. But right now, since he's been back as the starter in Week 12, so over the last three weeks, Trubisky ranks 12th in on-target throw percentage. He, now, here's the thing. They're, they're not asking him to do much. Air yards per completion, 4.5. But he's not making mistakes. Interception rate, 1.8. And his time to throw, 2.5. For a guy that's known for his mobility and scrambling around, 2.5 is very fast. That's around the NFL average. So do you buy into this Trubisky mini, um, you know, mini, mini, rise here i don't think it's going to change the bears thinking going into next year i don't think he'll be back there or anything like that but it's at least got to make you feel more confident about Allen robinson about david montgomery and maybe throwing a sleeper play out there like cole Komet at tight end who who gets vultured by jimmy graham but still is playing the most yeah, I do like Komet as maybe a, a cheap DFS option, but um, definitely upgrade over Nick Foles, no question about it. Um, obviously, more fantasy upside because he runs. Uh, David Montgomery, the schedule is helped, but man, another huge fantasy game on just 14 touches uh, last week against Houston. Yeah, it's an easy schedule, but whatever. You, uh, Mitch Trubisky throwing three touchdowns, no picks, looking pretty good out there. It's definitely a, a, a surprising turn of events, uh, and it definitely has your attention, and he's a, someone in super flex leagues in the fantasy playoffs. You're absolutely happy if you have him right now it's uh it's it's surprising but um yeah nice to see 
Dude, uh, Mitch Trubisky's literally saving my ass after uh, really? Scott Fishbowl because nice. I had Josh Allen, but I also had Dak Prescott. And uh, yep. my third quarterback was Nick Foles, and I'm like, great, now I've got to ride the Nick Foles experience. And then Trubisky comes back, and your boy is still alive in the Scott Fishbowl, thanks nice. to Mitch. I mean, it's obviously thanks to Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Allen Robinson, and Derek I Matter Henry. But, you know, you get the point. Trubisky, like you said, has been a godsend for super flex teams. Jalen Hurts also might be so a godsend he, yeah. for yeah. super flex teams, Hurts. for the Eagles potentially. But I, I don't want to be – I would just I'm not saying that I'm nervous, but I want to take your temperature on this because you're smarter than me. And uh, I, I'm just like – after Jalen Hurts' first game, obviously the rushing was a huge thing. Like that made the Eagles offense so much more watchable. 18 carries against the Saints. Only four on 30 dropbacks were scrambles. So, you know, the scrambles helped though too because I, I said this to Scott on, on Sunday night's podcast – there were so many times where there's pressure in Hertz's face. I'm like, oh, if that's Carson Wentz, it's a sack 10 out of 10 times. But Hertz actually makes something happen with it. But his passing, you know, it, it's his first start, but it's worth mentioning. Bottom five in terms of on target throw percentage in week 14, just 2.8 air yards per completion. That was 31st. And obviously, as a scrambler, his time to throw was up there over three seconds. We don't expect that to change. But does it even matter if Hertz is um you know an average or below average passer or does it make you nervous at all about the sustainability here that fourth down pass to Alshon Jeffrey had a nice touch on it but yeah I, the passing yeah. is going to be an issue let's not forget that Saints have an argument is the best defense in football right now zero sacks they entered the, the year I believe average uh, allowing zero hundred yard rushers this season and uh, the Eagles had two Miles Sanders I thought his already declining fantasy value might be even worse now with a mobile quarterback taking over fewer targets goal line uh, you know we saw what happened with Taysom Hill and Kamara before last week at least um, instead of the opposite happened uh, Sanders led uh, all running backs in snap share dominated uh with the score and even saw some targets too so uh Jalen Hurts I have as uh number 12 fantasy QB this week against Arizona with that rushing floor I hear you though I mean there's a downside to the passing it might become uh, an even bigger problem moving forward but when you're running for more than 100 yards against a tough Saints D um you gotta like his fantasy floor moving forward yeah I agree with you I have Hurts at QB 12 um so yeah I mean I I think he's I think he's a starting guy. Uh, I actually don't. I think he can get better as a passer too. Like I don't think he's Taysom Hill. You know, I think this is a, a guy who has an accomplished college career. You mentioned the stat. I think a couple of weeks ago, his play action, his non-play action passes, yards per attempt, he led the NFL. So I mean, led the college, led college football college. last year. So yeah, I mean, I think this is a guy we can expect to get better. I'm not too nervous about it. Plus, I don't really care about any of the pass catchers. Um, they're right, still right. completely yeah, like they're completely throwing out Travis Fulgham, Jalen Rager. I don't think has played well this year at all and uh, Dallas Goddard you're starting him anyways because he's a tight end uh, who's living and breathing so really it doesn't matter that much but I do I do think Miles Sanders like I'm still hearing it from the folks for being down on Miles Sanders last week but um, yeah I mean I think we all were but but I think it was great to see him like now I think he's back to set it and forget it territory I think I have him as a running back 11 right now and I know the contract is very tricky, but I I, uh, I I would expect that Wentz has played his final snap in Philly. I know they say that they, they say they're saying what they have to, uh, but they're going to somehow get, make that switch in the off season, right? Yeah, we'll see. I, it's just such a tough contract. They're gonna they're gonna ha- they're gonna take some they're gonna take some hits there. Uh, it's it's tough. I mean, the extension hasn't even kicked in yet. That's the hardest part. <laughs> so I have I have no idea what they're gonna do. Um, you know, maybe. 
maybe uh, the connection is easy, but maybe Frank Reich and the Colts, uh, that's a good offensive environment for him to potentially uh, rehab his career. But we will see. I don't know why. I don't know why with Rivers playing as well as he is, despite the injury, why they'd want to take Wentz on. But that's, again, conversation for another day. All right, our last segment on the show is Who Got Shelled, presented by our friends at Planters. Every Wednesday, Dalton and I are going to look at a defense or defensive player who got absolutely shelled last week. Then we'll dive into the data and point out the defensive matchups you might want to take advantage of this coming week. Dalton, my pick for last week, who got shelled, the damn Raiders. I mean, just Jonathan Taylor barreling all over him. T.Y. Hilton dropping dimes like it's 2016 or something on this team. It was unbelievable. Uh, this this defense stinks, and it might be the reason that they missed the playoffs. If they missed the playoffs, I think it's the fact that their defense is so, so far behind their offense. Uh, so that's a matchup, obviously, you want to target every single week. But who do we expect to get shelled this week? I'm picking the Lions. They've allowed an NFL high 6.5 yards per play over the last three weeks. Jeff Okuda is on the IR now. It's almost a too-good-to-be-true scenario for Derrick Henry. I mean, the, the Lions have allowed the most fantasy points to running backs this year. It never works out when it just looks so obvious like this, but maybe the, the score will get so out of hand so quickly it result in some garbage time, especially with Matthew Stafford um, now questionable to play this game. I have Corey Davis and A.J. Brown both as top 15 fantasy wideouts in this match at yeah. Canada. Hill, a top five QB. I mean, they could just name their score here. Like I said, the, the concern here is that the Lions offense doesn't do anything because, man, it's hard not to see the Titans doing uh, naming their score on offense. Yeah, Chase Daniel, though, I feel like could at least keep the ship afloat. And despite the fact what we saw them do to Mike Glennon last week, this is still a beatable defense. So I no think doubt. you don't have to be too concerned. And, you know, DeAndre Swift being back, I, do, I think, moves the needle a little bit for this yep. offensive team in Detroit as well. My pick is the Jets, man. And we talked about it. You know, obviously there's concern with sheesh. Maybe these Rams guys <laughs> might be out by the third quarter. But it's just such a perfect setup. Like, the Rams offense has been great this year when they can be on their schedule. And I know the Patriots aren't a good defense, but they're just disruptive enough because the coaching is so great. And obviously it's a disciplined system that they can still disrupt Jared Goff. You know, it's not as if it's a matchup like against the 49ers or against the, 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 the Dolphins. But again, the Patriots despite their bad rankings and pretty much every metric, they're still going to move the needle enough because of the coaching and the way they design that defense. Uh, none of that's happening in New York, man. I think all the play action, all the motion, all the jet sweeps, all the cam acres, it's going to be happening against the jets this week. I mean, Seattle was just, it wasn't even an NFL game. What was going on between the Seahawks and the damn jets last week. So yeah, I think they're going to get absolutely shelled this week. Uh, the Jets had three missed field goals before halftime. Gase's insistence on running Gore up the gut on every first Ugh. and ten. Uh, this Jets team is totally checked out, and no doubt they're going to get shelled this week. I don't, I don't blame them. I, if I was them, I'd check out too, and I'm checking out every time they pop up on red zone. That's a good time for <laughs> all three times that they do. Uh, that's a good yeah. time for a bathroom break. <laughs> So that was who got shelled. I hope we don't get shelled by making those picks. And once again, we want to give a shout out to Planters for that segment. Stay satisfied with Planters. All right, Dalton, what do we got coming up this week, man? Check out the Thursday pod with me and p and talking week 15 lines. And then Friday, I'll have a sit-start column. 
while you are eagerly awaiting all of Dalton's musings in his start sit column. Make sure to check out all the podcast offerings that you can jam into your ear holes uh, here at Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. That's at Dalton Del Don. Tomorrow, Dalton's going to be back with Scott, as he mentioned to preview the betting lines. But until then, we are out. We are out.